football, 3-0 to start the season. They win 28-20 over the Auburn Tigers. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. BWI is live. We are here recapping Penn State and their whiteout win to start the season. I'm here with Tom Hannafin of the Pater Podcast with Matt McGloin. Tom, that was we were we were talking earlier. This has got to be one of the better whiteout games that we've seen. Your initial takeaways from the game, your like I, it's always so emotional to end games. You're you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. How were you feeling on that final drive with Penn State once again having to defend a late lead? And the defense is on the field. Were there ghosts swimming around in your head? Yes, because Herb Street had brought up the fact that Bo Nix uh, kind of made a name for himself. I put that in quotation marks. And his first big win was against Oregon. He lobbed up this pass to Seth Williams. That was like a last-minute uh, yeah. touchdown and a last-minute victory for Auburn. So he was kind of like, Bo Nix has done this. He's played in a lot of big games. He's had 27 starts. Bo Nix wasn't that great tonight, but it's like, yeah, that's all it takes. And so that last drive was stressful. But yeah. other than that, and in terms of whiteouts that I can remember, this was at least one of uh, a handful of whiteouts where Penn State, for the bulk of the game, was leading. So you didn't yeah. feel like completely on edge and like, oh, my God, we got to get a lead and they're coming back or something like that. You know, it, it felt like starting the third quarter, the way the rhythm of things was uh, moving along that. Penn State was probably going to pull it out, but Auburn was doing a great job in the running game, keeping things close. So um, I, I, my all-time most stressful whiteout was 2016. Ultimately, uh, yeah. Grant Haley runs back the block field goal for a touchdown to beat Ohio State. That was stressful. But like yeah. this, this was just different because – I think the gap between Auburn and Penn State is there. That's a pretty good Auburn team. I don't even know if 22 is a fair ranking for them. I think they're probably better than that. Um, but that was stressful for good reasons. And the big thing I took away, thank your lucky stars, Sean Clifford is healthy. Because yeah. all you yeah. haters out there, and I addressed this last week on the Pater podcast, all you haters out there, where's Will Levis? He went to Kentucky. See what happens. If Sean Clifford had gone out of that game and Taquan Roberson's in, nothing against Roberson, nothing against Christian Value. They're just not ready yet. But tell me that wouldn't have gone horribly, horribly awry. It, and there were a couple of moments there where it might have, you know, the 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 way he was hit a couple of times in that game. It, he's been doing this all season where he comes off the field and he, he looks like something's broken <laughs> and then he just goes back out there. So, yeah, uh, he was able to. And, and this was uh, Kirk Herbstreit said it, it on. He, he nailed that. This was Sean Clifford's best game in a Nittany Lion uniform. And it's not even close, not even yep. close. He was able to win this game for Penn State. I was I was blown away. We have not seen Sean Clifford take command of a game like we saw tonight. He was 28 to 32, 280 yards, two touchdowns, the one bad interception, but it was in a place where it really wasn't going to harm you. The only thing yeah. he did is maybe you took a field goal off off the board, but there's still plenty of game left for to, you know, to come back and and to make plays and to make up for that. So, Sean Clifford to me changes in this game obviously is just one game one sample size one iteration of what we're going to see this year but it changes my perception of what he can do just a little bit because he was doing things tonight that he has not done consistently 
throughout his entire career. And and maybe this is a turn-the-corner moment for him. If that is, then this is a huge moment for Penn State football because they found their quarterback and they have a guy that can elevate the play of the players around him. Uh, I'm Thomas Frank Carr. That's Tom Hannafin. This is BWI Live, the postgame show wrapping up Penn State's win 28-20 over Auburn. Get your questions in in the chat. And another thing we're doing here on the channel, obviously, are Super Chats. If you've been around before, we've told you a little bit about this. If you want to donate to the channel, you want to give us a little bit for doing this tonight uh, on a free platform, you just put your donation number in. It comes up in a very special box that I will pull up right now, and then we'll get it and we will talk about it. We'll answer your questions. Now, I have to say this. I, I've said we'll answer your questions. They do have to be appropriate for me to talk about on air. I have to be able to read them and put them on air. Very so make important. sure if you do ask a super chat and there's any sort of vulgarity in it, I, I can't do anything for you there, but I will at least say, hey, thanks. <laughs> so oh, if you want to throw something in the, in the channel uh, for us for doing this show, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. We'll be getting to your questions. And th this is where we really have to start with this game, unfortunately, after Sean Clifford is... Uh, Matthew says, what's your opinion of the refs? Horrible in his opinion. There's about 17 iterations of this. Um, but, Tom, we were saying before, we don't think that this was some sort of SEC conspiracy. We don't, right? No. And so, first of all, I found it odd when at first they announced that it was an SEC crew because often when you see these non-conference games between two power five conferences. They often have the referee crew be from an entirely different conference, not a big 10, not an sec. It would have been like big 12 or pac 12 or something like that. Right. Or you'll see right. that in bowl games often. So I found that odd. And part of you, you know, your spidey sense starts tingling and you're kind of like, uh, is the, is the fix in? And I see a couple people talking that way as well. So the first thing that really tipped everybody off was the intentional grounding, which was a good 40 yards down the field, which I've never seen the, that called in that capacity because typically that's usually called in the flats, usually around yeah. the line of scrimmage itself. Or under pressure. Knocks. How about right, that? Exactly. Being that's under pressure. Mm -hmm. But we this have is... no problem with guys like just launching it out of bounds or launching it somewhere just away from coverage or anything like I've seen that a lot so I was like how did that and then the 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 mistake with the down which was like wait a minute it's second and 15 what what what's happening now after this penalty and Franklin was losing his mind and rightfully so so that I think was the beginning of Penn State fans probably being like the crew seems to be working against Penn State, but then uh, T. Frank it kind of unraveled from there that it just didn't seem biased in one direction. It just they're just bad, bad. Yeah, they were just bad at their job. I, I said yeah. this on, on online uh, at Thomas Frank Carr. If you want to follow my annoying play by play on Twitter, I it's said not imagine annoying. it's adorable. <laughs> well, I, sometimes I feel like I'm being that guy. You don't want to ever want to be that guy. Um, uh, I, I felt like, imagine you had your worst day at the office, but it was in front of 109,000 people and then millions of people on TV. They just were bad at their job. And it wasn't just the referees. It was the, the chain crew, too. There were several yeah. uh, instances where the chains were moved inappropriately and the refs weren't in control of that. And then the, the missed down. I wrote all of them down so that I wouldn't forget. Uh, the intentional grounding, that was not grounding. And by the way, that's the second time that's happened in Sean Clifford's career. I don't think people remember this. In 2000, I want to say 19, he it was the game against Purdue, 
Same exact situation, just a miscommunication. He throws it down the field. They call intentional grounding on that. I don't understand why that keeps happening to him. Uh, then obviously there's the one uh, that Bo Nix, that was intentional grounding, that was not called. They missed the down markers on that uh, on that second and 15 that was then a punt. And then, of course, we've got the first down that was given to Jahan Dotson appropriately. We had to review that and take that away. And then there's the quick whistle on the Mustafer tackle, which I that to me that annoyed me the most of all the you know all of the, the it's ticky tack, but that one was pretty bad. Of like, it's a football play. He's not a quarterback. He is a defensive lineman. He's three hundred and twenty-seven pounds. You always let that play out. You always let that play play out, and all of a sudden, you're not doing that there. That was that to me was really strange. Well, and the whistle, they even replayed it on the show, and Fowler and Herbstreet were like, the whistle clearly blew after the push, and it would appear that he had gotten beyond the line to gain. So we're not all of a sudden playing to the whistle? Like, what? Yeah. That, I, I, I learned that in peewee football. Like, what are we it talking was a, about? It was a very sloppy game. Got yeah. some Super Chat questions here we got to get to. Uh, Ryan throws this in one here. How do we feel about the defense after giving up a couple of longer drives late in the game to let Auburn back in it? And we were talking about some of our, our whiteout memories here. And one of the things that kept coming up in my mind was the 2018 whiteout, I want to say it was, where it was that, that second half crumble from Penn State versus Ohio State. But the difference was... The Penn State offense responded in this game. And you're right. It, they were leading this whole time, and you felt confident the way Mike Yersich was calling the game that there were going to be plays made by the team in the second half. So I, I would say it was a little concerning, but Auburn is a good team. And Tank Bigsby was eventually going to break out. Some of those defensive breakdowns to me, and I'll have to go back and watch the film because it was... That, that last part of the game always kind of seems to snowball on you. But there were a lot of defensive communication breakdowns to me in the game. Not necessarily guys were getting beat. Uh, so I, I don't have as much of a problem with that because they were able to get those fourth down stops. And they were able to eventually, you know, they only gave up, I think, one touchdown in that situation. And Auburn settled for field goals when they needed to go for points. So that worked out in Penn State's favor. Do you have a problem with the way... That that went in the second half with uh, Brent Pry calling the game and giving up those long drives late. It, it was what I expected because you and I were texting about it uh, right around the time the third quarter started. Is that uh, and again I said this on the Pater podcast last week is that if this game is in Bo Nix's hands and Auburn is down by a score potentially two scores. That's dangerous for Auburn because now all of a sudden you're relying on Bo Nix to win the game. You're relying on the passing game, which you completely disregard what they did against Akron and Alabama State. If you're an Auburn fan, great. Be happy about that. But still, they they haven't done enough this season for you to be like, oh, my gosh, these wide receivers, they're new, but they're really talented. You know, th this is a different core. Um, you knew that after what had happened in the second quarter, Auburn went heavier on the pass. Bo Nix responded, but as you mentioned, it was because of communication issues. They got back to the run in the third quarter, that uh, them being Auburn. So that was expected. And Penn State, we need to accept this is not the best rushing defense that Penn State has ever fielded. We saw what happened against Wisconsin. Uh, obviously, Ball State was Ball State, and no one's really going to lose sleep over what happens next week at Villanova. Yeah. But there are going to be teams that can run the ball on Penn State 
and it does give you worry for bigger games down the road, uh, potential bowl game, all those sort of situations that could come up. So um, the defense, I think there's things that can be shored up. That was a very good and experienced offensive line that Auburn has. So they were able to uh, throw around Penn State a little bit more than they're accustomed to this year. Uh, But the communication issues, I I think you hit the nail on the head because against Ball State, and again, it's Ball State, Penn State seemed to rarely make any mistakes in terms of everybody was where they had to be and they weren't going to get beat athletically. This is a very different animal, so that's something Brent Pry and company have to shore yeah. up. There's there's one uh, caveat to this that I have been a little bit disappointed in how Brandon Smith has performed against the run when he's not in space. So Brandon Smith, when he can see it and hit it, he can run into a gap and he can shoot a gap and he can tackle, he's a very good linebacker. But there were times where when those guards climbed to the second level or he got somebody on him, he did not disengage well. And that's where I think a lot of Auburn's yards came in that in that third quarter. And this is how it broke down to Ryan's question. Uh, a 15-play drive for 75 yards followed up by a 9-play drive for 31 yards that settled in a field goal. That last part is the key to me that they were able to stop them in the red zone or on the on the positive side of the field and they were able to get that stop for just the field goal because Penn State then came back with their own nine play 75 yard drive from Mike Yursich and Sean Clifford that was just phenomenal that was it was just phenomenal I want to get to this one as well because we've got a couple of these we got to get to James S asks how many points is a whiteout worth this is a great question is it just your standard three Tom or are you given four and a half or five for a whiteout now i think it depends on the opponent i think it entirely depends on the opponent um as you mentioned that that 2018 ohio state team was loaded uh in retrospect yeah. uh, now seeing what dwayne haskins has become in the nfl yeah but still that dwayne haskins was sharp that was a really talented team top to bottom uh jk dobbins uh, a lot of talented guys on that defense that are now in the nfl so uh, it just depends on the circumstance, but I think the gap was there enough that it certainly looked good for Penn State. So I think it just depends on who you're playing, but uh, it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, it, it, and there were, I, I think la- the last time we saw the whiteout, they made an immediate impact with the false or the, the timeout to start the game. And there were a couple false starts this game, but Auburn handled it pretty well in the second half. I thought they did a pretty good job. And Penn State didn't get the pressure I was expecting from Arnold Ebikidi. And to me, that's a real problem because if he's not getting pressure, I don't think Jesse Lucchetta is really a defensive end just yet. I haven't seen from him the ability to get pressure and to beat tackles one-on-one. So if if your if your fastball with Ebikidi isn't working, you know, as much as I love the way Luketa plays the run, I don't think he's there yet as a as a uh, as a pass rusher. So in those situations, it relies a lot on Jaquan Brisker, who had just an awesome game, man. Great. I mean, again, makes the final play, breaking up that pass to mm-hmm. end the game. He he's been he has been like hero like in these games for Penn State to start three and zero, ending two uh, games pretty much by himself with those last plays. Um, I, I was I was talking with somebody before this. How much money do you think he made himself tonight? Like NIL, draft status, national television playing the way he did. Um, I believe uh, you and I had talked about it a number of weeks ago, but I believe he was ranked the number three overall safety ac- according to Pro Football Focus. And I love the way they break down players. Um, 
and that was surprising considering just the way 2020 went overall for the defense. But it was like, oh, this is a pleasant surprise. Um, he's been outstanding. Um, you yeah. hope from a health standpoint that he's going to hold up. The thing that I like so much about him is that, A, he's not afraid to be physical. B, he is calm. He 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 just yeah. approaches it like a professional football player would. Yeah. And that's going to be very appealing uh, in the NFL. He's not the tallest guy. Um, I don't know what his, his measurables are. He's clearly not the tallest safety that was ever created. Uh, He's six six one two oh five. Uh yeah. he's actually built more like a corner, truthfully. Yeah. And and so, he plays in the box bigger than that, too. Right. So, you know, where does he ultimately land at the next level? That's a good question. And that's gonna be something we'll we'll find out about at the combine. But right now, my only worry for Jaquan is just health this year because we saw how banged up he was against Wisconsin, played sparingly yeah. against Ball State, which obviously was to get ready for Auburn. Personally, if I'm Brent Pry, if I'm James Franklin. He doesn't touch the field against Villanova just for just to be safe. <laughs> but you know, he you got to pad some made... of those stats if he wants to be the. Yeah. What's the safety? What What's the safety award for the best safety in the country? Is it the Ronnie Lott? Right? Thorpe Lott? I don't. Thorpe? I don't know. Somebody I. They're the all on the list. Somebody in the chat, look it up, please. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Uh, so here, here are Brisker's stats for the night: six total sack, uh, six total tackles, three solo, a tackle for a loss, a pass breakup. Uh, and, and was a force around the box. A lot of, and this is truly what I was expecting from the Penn State defense, is on the night they had three tackles for a loss. But again, if you go to PFF and you'll see what they call stops. Those are plays where you, you're you tackled short, so it's a defensive win. Anything like three yards and under is considered a stop. Penn State had a ton of those tonight. They were super active around the line of scrimmage, especially in the first half. After At halftime, Tank's, Tank Bigsby, after his first run of 18 yards, he averaged 3.2 yards a carry. They were not allowing him to get out of the backfield. They did a great job in the first half of that game. Now, in the second half, there were some issues, and it didn't really go quite according to plan, I don't think. Uh, we got to get another one of these. You guys are rolling these in, so thank you so much. Uh, Dennis asks, the difference with Sean... Well, this is a statement. The difference with Sean, he was confident. I haven't seen like this maybe ever. Do you agree with that? Do you think that it was just confidence that changed for Sean Clifford? The... Uh... The Sean Clifford we're seeing now is the uh, the shades of what we saw in 2019 when he was pounding yeah. around with his high school buddy, K.J. Hamler. It's the same kind of rapport. It's the same type of feeling with Jahan Dotson right now. I didn't think you were going to see that necessarily considering the way 2020 played out. Sean was outstanding. Uh, there's another guy, by the way, Brisker and Clifford. I would not hate if you didn't see them play against Villanova. That's just me. Keep <laughs> You're because treating this again, like it's a practice, like it's a scrimmage game. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you're right. I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Villanova, but just the, the gap of competition is even bigger than the Ball State gap was. And look how that ended. So anyway, um, Sean looked confident. And it's what you and I had talked about the last time we did this. And it's something I've talked to Matt McLoin extensively about is that he's calm. He's not forcing the ball. He's poised. He's putting it in really good spots. Could his accuracy be a little bit better? There's a handful of situations where Jahan or Parker is really having to make a yeah. spectacular catch just to make it a catch. However, it's the old adage of you put it only where your receiver can get it. And that's what yeah. Sean has been doing. So this is what we all were seeing in 2019 and didn't see in 2020. And it's now ramped back up. So I'm thrilled about it. I, I, I got to say, uh, 
Jahan Dotson is amazing. Like, I love, first off, I love receivers. My favorite position in football is wide receiver. When I was a kid, I loved the idea of just being faster than everyone else and running by everybody else. Now, I was never that. that. Never happened. Well, no, around the people I was around, yes. Once I got around other people, then no. Um, But it, like, I love that position. And Jahan Dotson plays it so well. His hands are amazing. Those catches he makes are now routine. Like for him, those, what you just described, having to go up completely vertical, get to the apex of the ball behind him, one-handed, reel it in, and that's just a a 20-yard gain. Like he made Sean Clifford look pretty damn good on a lot of those plays. Uh, And and Sean played, again, the best game of his career, but Jahan Dotson is special in so many subtle ways that I think people are really sleeping on him as a talent. I know that, you know, Penn State fans know about him. I know that people know about Jahan Dotson because of the catches last year against uh, Ohio State in uh, in the primetime game last year. But I don't think people realize how good of a, a contested catch acrobatic receiver he really is. Uh, because he, he's, he's truly awesome at the position. Um, I want to get to some of these other ones here. We got a lot of these rolling in again. Thank you for donating to the channel. We really appreciate this from Henry Mail. Uh, why can't the O-line deliver a top-notch running game? Uh, the Auburn D is stout, but why is there not a dominant running attack? This is a really this is a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. I actually thought Penn State's offensive line from a pass-blocking perspective played the best game I've seen them play all season. They but did. from a run perspective, I do think that there's something there with Penn State cannot consistently get yards on the ground. And a lot of people in the, in the chat, you're right to point this out. The reason they're getting gimmicky is because when they go between the tackles, they can't get any yards. Mm-hmm. So that's why you got the jet sweeps, the pop passes, the end arounds, because your traditional running game is not between the tackles. You're trying to stretch them horizontally. Um, what have you seen from the Penn State offensive line, or what do you want to see from the Penn State offensive line to take that step? be able to move people like uh, the biggest issue no it seems simple but it just when penn state needed minimal yardage with a third and short or yep. third and goal fourth and goal that auburn defensive line won just about every single time so that is going to signal to the rest of the big 10 when you get to the the rest of that schedule is that okay we can have our way with them a little bit um when it comes to the running backs, I was thrilled to see uh, Noah Kane of such a good day. I was thrilled to see uh, John Lovett get involved because uh, we hadn't seen him at this point. Obviously, he'd been held out. Um, Kevon Lee starts the game strong and then immediately fumbles. You do not see him the rest of the game. And it's yep. something that yep. um, I heard people describe it as hero ball and some people alleging that Kevon Lee has felt the pressure of trying to push Noah Kane for reps of John Lovett eventually coming to get some yeah. reps in the running back room. And then well, look at the way he runs. There. Right. Look, and, and that's the yeah. thing. He can be the, the thunder to the lightning of Noah Kane, however you want to put it. And for every good play that there is, there is something negative where he'll either run 20 yards backwards, trying to hit a home run ball or he'll fumble like he did. And it just feels like he's running out of opportunities this season. He'll probably get some next week because it's Villanova, but at the same time, like the rest of the way, can you trust him uh, with with the football? So I don't know if it's a question about the guys you're handing the ball to. Uh, And you've hit on a lot on the BWI Daily is that these guards, the interior of the offensive line, 
we don't really know who's that good. And yeah. they don't really seem to have a fix on what those starting three interior guys uh, are going to be week to week. So I don't know. So that's uh, your first comment of just move guys off the ball is the one thing that I do think that interior, especially they're still trying to find that their way there because Eric Wilson is not a monster run blocker. And Bryce Efner got a lot of run in this game. He came in and played left guard. You actually pointed out to me that he got a couple snaps even before they really put in the second string at the end oh, of the Ball yeah. State game. He came in and played a little bit of left guard. He played there this week, and uh, th that's really the one-two now at that left guard position. Bryce Efner's 300 pounds maybe. So you don't have a lot of beef there. And then Mike Miranda is a good player. But at the center position, it's hard. You've got to be really dominant to move guys off the ball. You, what you're normally doing is helping and you're down blocking, double teaming. You're not going to be the guy that is the primary driver. And that's what those guard positions were. I did think this was a much better game for Juice Scruggs. I did think he did play much better, especially in the first half when they got all of their points and they wanted to, you know, they really had to make things happen. They were much better there. Uh, and then just to wrap up the offensive line, Rasheed Walker had the best game of his career. Another guy that had an all-time game tonight on the Noah Kane touchdown he washed down the entire left side of the line. The reason Noah Kane walked in is because uh, Rashid Walker blocked his guy into two other guys and just paved the way for a touchdown. And that was just one of the blocks. He did a great job tonight. Uh, and he's a guy that I singled out that needed to play well earlier this week because he, he did not play well against Wisconsin, and he came back with an all-time performance. And that's what you need if you want to win 28-20 over an SEC team that is on the rise. Auburn with Brian Harson is now a better football team. I was really impressed with them, and I was impressed with Bo Nix. I did not think I was going to be that impressed by Bo Nix. He only made one or two like Bo Nix plays tonight. And I know that right. Auburn fans, I was on a couple of uh, Auburn channels earlier this week. Road Bo is something that they're terrified of. And he wasn't even the dude that fumbled. He wasn't the dude that fumbled and gave up the points. No, he was 21 of 37. Uh, I get the stat line here. 185 yards passing. So, like, not necessarily great. They were about even in terms of, I think they had 182 yards rushing and then 185 passing. So, that balance is great if you're an Auburn fan. Bo Nix is not the second coming of Cam Newton for the, the Auburn Tigers. He's not this guy that I think uh, he was a four-star or five-star recruit, according to whoever you look at uh, for your recruiting information, on his way into Auburn. I think a lot of people were expecting really big things from him. Um, and it's something that we've talked about before is that He's eerily similar to Sean Clifford. However, Sean Clifford clearly looked better tonight, looked like the better quarterback, and Sean has taken that leap that everybody has hoped for. So uh, Bo Nix wasn't the reason that Auburn lost, and, and yeah. I think that's a positive thing. If you happen to be an Auburn fan and you're on this stream, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, they, they had 40 rushes for 182 yards, and they almost pulled out an uh, uh, an upset to come in and win that game. They had the ball to end the game, but you know, as good as Bo was at managing the game early, that is not an offense that's designed with those skill positions to do what they tried to do at the end of the game. And I thought for his part, even then, he managed it pretty well. He got them in position to win, but they just didn't they didn't have enough offensively. And this was one of those things with um 
with with the way this game played out, the things that I was looking at coming into this game, the Penn State offensive line versus that defensive line for Auburn, that was a big matchup for me. And then was there anyone that could step up outside of Tank Bigsby and the running game in general to help Bo Nix? Because I asked James Franklin in uh, media availability on Wednesday, can one guy in a team sport like football, can one guy take over a game? How hard is that? Because I was being told by Auburn fans that you got to talk about Tank Bigsby, you got to talk about Jarquez Hunter, these guys, especially Bigsby, that's the guy that's going to take over the game and win it. And to me, it's just in, in a team game like football, if it's not the quarterback, it's almost impossible to just take over a game and win it yourself. Saquon Barkley couldn't do it. And, and people talked about him the way that uh, Auburn fans talked about Bigsby and Hunter. And, and I, I think it just shows you that it is so hard to do that. And they did not have the depth of playmakers. I mean, Penn State went to John Lovett on a beautiful screen pass on, you know, on a double fake to a screen pass on the backside. He's a he's their fourth running back that has been in the game so far this season for Penn State football. That's the depth of talented players. Tyler Warren was involved tonight. Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Keandre Lambert-Smith. Penn State just had too many skill players for Auburn to match. They had to match that, and they just could not. Uh, I just want to quickly, because we've gotten through all of our Super Chat questions so far. Nestor Figueroa, thank you. You didn't ask a question with your super chat, but thank you for the donation to the channel. If you want to get your question up with a uh, with a super chat donation, just put whatever you want to donate to the channel in the box. We'll get to your questions here. I'll throw them up here in this nice spot where our ticker normally goes, and we'll answer your questions. Uh, what stood out to you, Tom, about this game from the offensive perspective? The running game was an issue, but what in what did you see from Mike Yursich? in the play calling and management of the game. Were you impressed or not impressed with how he did? Very impressed. Uh, you kind of hit on it a little bit. We finally got the tight ends. We finally yeah. got the tight ends. And I, I was thinking about it because I think we were all a little surprised that it didn't get rolled out against Wisconsin and that those that, that would have been a situation on the road against a good opponent um, where you would need all three of those guys, the, the freaks, as I lovingly uh, refer to them as. And then it made sense that against Ball State, they didn't really get uh, a ton of attention. Um, obviously, there was a touchdown to Theo Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Theo. Um, uh, Brenton Strange. Brenton Strange, thank you. Brenton Strange also had a great game uh, tonight. Tyler yeah. Warren runs the Wildcat. Uh, if, if, for those of you that don't know, did you know, know he, he played, played quarterback? I was about to say he played quarterback oh. in high school, and he's six <laughs> five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Like imagine tackling that Ben Roethlisberger esque human. Um, yeah, Tyler Warren, Theo Johnson got involved quite a bit and was really, really good. But it was the variety, and it was a new wrinkle that um, you weren't thrilled to see them go back to the. Um, the the wild lion uh, kind of formation with Tyler Warren the second time on the goal line Auburn knew it was coming and it was pretty much a one read and you got to eat it type of situation for yeah uh, Warren if didn't have strange out in the flat yep smoke Monday made a great play so yep that's now on tape right so it's it's waiting for the right opportunity to utilize that package 
kind of I feel like I've been running down Villanova and I'm sorry, but like you're not going to see much of that. I hope next week because you're going to have to work really hard on the post game to make that interesting. You should definitely tune in. Right. But yeah, you're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do we're going to have I'm going to have a marching band just to make right. sure you guys are entertained after the after the Villanova game. I'm I'm basically advocating for like what an NFL team does in week 17. And it's just like, hey, we've <laughs> already locked up home field advantage. Let's just sit everybody and wait for next week, because then you dive back into the Big Ten schedule. Um, the question is going to be how much more do you see of those wrinkles? Are you going to wait until you play Ohio State? Are you going to wait until you play Michigan, who has looked like they've developed quite a good run game on their own and haven't necessarily played any breathtaking competition, but they look like they're going to be you know, some competition. Um, let's not forget what Maryland did to this team, and Maryland is not, yeah. again, looking like a superpower, but we underestimated them last year, and Talia Takavailoa beat the brakes off us. So this is going to be very interesting the rest of the way. I was thrilled to see the tight ends get involved because of how – physical and violent Auburn was playing to start the yeah. game from a defensive standpoint. It just seemed like my, Mike Yersich was like, all right, I'm going to roll out three dudes who are 6'5", 250 plus deal with this and yeah. their size up the middle then open things up for KLS, for Jahan Dotson, for uh, Parker Washington. It was outstanding. I really liked it. I, I liked the diversity of formations. One of my biggest problems with Penn State under the last couple offensive coordinators was everything was static. And it's not just motion, because there's a lot of motion in this offense. There's a lot of moving pieces before the snap, whether it's it's receivers, uh, you know, in that ghost motion coming behind the uh, the offense, or Jahan Dotson, when he got a, a seven-yard first down play, he's basically lined up at a tight end position with that tight split at receiver, and then he, he runs that fake crack block behind the line of scrimmage, scrapes behind there, and Auburn actually did a pretty good job defending it, but you've got, now you've got Jahan Dotson against a linebacker. So there's creativity, there's intelligence with what you're doing with the offense, and I know that's why I think a lot of people in chat are saying how bad of a job Mike Yersich did tonight. 28 points against that defense. How many yards? i got to pull this up of the total number of yards that they had in this game. Almost 400 yards. 391 yards against that defense. That's a very good defense. And they were able to scheme things open. Uh, the trickery at the beginning of the game, I thought maybe they were trying to hit a big play early and get the crowd in it. They were trying too hard to get Auburn to over-pursue. But once they got into the game and the flow of the game, Penn State scored a touchdown every single quarter of this game. They did not have a lull where they were offensively inept. Those are all things that Penn State has done consistently in the past. And the the usage of different players in different positions of Tyler Warren lined up at wide receiver multiple times. You don't ever see that creativity from the guys that, that have been the offensive coordinator in the past at Penn State. I just think that if you're looking at the totality of what he did, the drive to end the first half, that essentially ended the first half, kept the defense off the field, 91 yards for a touchdown. That's another thing you don't see from Penn State too often anymore when it came to it was either a big play or a three and out. The consistency, the ability to play within the game plan and then make them wrong with mistakes and with with um, unique ways that you're deploying your resources. I was super impressed with that. And again, Sean Clifford played the game of his career, but he's put in position to succeed. 28 to 32, 280 yards, two touchdowns. That was the best offensive coordinator and and quarterback combination I've seen since Joe Mar Joe Moorhead and and uh, Trace McSorley, and I don't think it's particularly close. 
Like that was that was a wonderful performance. It was enjoyable, and for Penn State fans, it was successful. Yeah, no, it was great. And I'm seeing some people in the chat talking about um, Dave R saying the turtling at the end of games needs to be addressed. Basically, playing prevent style offense and defense for that matter, um, just to try and run out the clock and escape with a win. Um, I understand Penn State fans want to see us beat the brakes off people um, and really try and hang some points on a team like Auburn. I don't think this Penn State team is necessarily going to be someone that averages like 35, 40 points a game. Um, There's going to be a lot of these hard-fought games. Ohio State is going to feel a lot like this. Um, There's a very good chance Michigan could feel like this. At Iowa is going to feel just like this. Yeah, I I don't see too many games on the schedule outside of Rutgers potentially where you're really going to try and hang a lot of points on somebody. So um, I agree Penn State needs to make sure that the last drive of the game is not potentially game winning for the other team. You would have liked to have seen that a little bit more easily in hand. But again, that comes back to that's a good Auburn defense and Auburn got back to running the ball. They didn't get distracted in the second half. It seemed very there's plenty of teams and plenty of games that we've all watched as fans. Football teams will get into rhythms of we're just throwing because we got to try and make up some ground and we got to make up some points. And then they just keep doing that into the third quarter because they're panicking and they're freaking out. As you mentioned, Brian Harson, he seems to have a very good, uh, very disciplined football team. And he had them organized. It's like, we're going to go back to what we do. We are going to run the ball down their throat because it has worked so far for a team like Wisconsin. It's worked for Auburn. And it's probably going to work for somebody else again. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to one thing. Get If you want to, uh, donate to the channel with a super chat. We've had a couple people ask questions that way. And thank you to those people again for, for donating. I want to run down those people. Because I... I genuinely appreciate you. I don't think you understand how much I appreciate that from Ryan and James and Dennis and Henry and Nestor. I do want to bring this up because this makes me laugh. Terrible take. Bo Nix is not good. Refs and line run game kept them in the game. First off, you have to understand how little I thought of Bo Nix before this season. For me to say he had a good game means he wasn't the reason they lost the game. Yes, there was a pick six that was dropped. So he could have essentially lost them the game there. But that was one play where he did that. And that was the only play that was truly awful Bo Nix, what are you doing football? He kept them in the game and made several plays by extending the play and not panicking and peeing his pants in the pocket and threw the football down the field to his third or fourth progression. That's a step forward for him. He was not the better quarterback tonight. There's no doubt about that. He was not the better quarterback, but he played an acceptable level of football, which means he didn't lose the game for them. It's a low threshold for me with Bo Nix. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I think Bo is kind of uh, closer to 2020 Sean Clifford than 2021 Sean Clifford. So uh, to yeah. give a little bit of comparison, we kind of talked about they are very similar athletes. They have very similar ability. Um, the one thing I noticed about Bo Nix in that second half when um, there was a, a call that didn't go their way, I'm blanking on exactly what it was. Oh, he wanted pass interference when Brisker yeah. got tied up with the receiver and both guys went tumbling down and it was clearly – both guys just getting tangled up. He was visibly frustrated and angry on the sidelines. And that's the difference between quarterbacks that can handle games and can't handle games. And especially really big moments like that is they just don't get rattled. Um, Trevor Lawrence is the latest guy who we all saw for a number of years, just seemed emotionless on the sideline. And it's just, you kind of need to be that way. And it's one of the reasons why I like Jaquan Brisker so much is because 
every play, good or bad, he is the same. Ellis Brooks, he is the same. That yeah. is what you want out of your players, guys who can just move on and have a short memory. Uh, so I, I, I have to say this just because it it came to mind today. Does Bonix kind of look like Ivan Drago with that haircut? Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like Evandra. He, he yeah, looks like he looks like a that. bad guy from a Rocky movie. Like uh, you know, <laughs> it helps when you've got when you look like that. <laughs> you play in the SEC. That that's just that's that's. I couldn't help but think about uh, that today watching that game. Uh, yeah. What are your expectations for this team now? They're three and zero. Probably the hardest September I can remember any team having to play for Penn State. They have passed these tests, and now they're on to, as you have called it, the week four in the NFL preseason or the week 18 when you've got the division wrapped up and you got Villanova. What are your expectations once they hit Big Ten play proper? Um, I So looking ahead at the schedule right now, as we mentioned, uh, Villanova next week, then you've got uh, you're hosting Indiana, you're at Iowa home against Illinois, at Ohio State, at Maryland, at Michigan. That's going to be the real critical meat of the schedule because um, four out of five weeks in a row there are really uh, interesting games. And then you're home against Rutgers, and then you got Michigan State to round out the year. So personally, as a Penn State fan, the Indiana game, once you get through Villanova, and hopefully you've rested guys and you come out healthy on the other side of that, Villanova is 3-0. and uh, They haven't played anything uh, anybody really substantial in CAA, uh, they should probably have a nice season, but there's just going to be a huge gap in talent. Um, the Indiana game, I think back to when Chase uh, Winovich was the outside linebacker for the Michigan Wolverines, and he was running his mouth talking about the Michigan revenge tour. This yeah. is the beginning of Penn State's revenge tour for 2020, and it better start with Michael Penix Jr., and the Indiana Hoosiers, because <laughs> I, we all remember the stretch, yeah. and we all have our opinions on whether or not it should have even happened, and frankly, Penn State lost that game well before that double overtime even occurred. Um, yeah. That is an opportunity to make a statement, and at the same time, Indiana played Cincinnati pretty tough today, and that's a good Cincinnati football team. So Tom Allen is not going to roll out a team that is unprepared. So uh, it's getting into that schedule. I think you cannot underestimate anybody on this schedule. Um, Illinois and Rutgers, you feel pretty confident. Um, Mel Tucker has Michigan State moving in the right direction. And yeah. a, a, a phrase that terrifies everybody is at Kinnick at night. Yeah. That October 9th. I, if both teams are undefeated, I wouldn't be shocked if ESPN College Game Day was there. It's going to be yeah. huge. So yeah. And, 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 Iowa is right now in the driver's seat in in the West. Obviously, it's super early, but uh, they're looking very good this year. We've got a couple of questions here. Uh, I want to thank these people for donating channel. Uh, David Greeter, how does Penn State fix their issues of the run game on both sides? The O-line getting zero push, D-line can't stop the run. So they faced Auburn and Wisconsin this year. That's part of it for the for the run defense. The second part, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on the show, we're here, BWI Live, wrapping up 28-20 win for Penn State over Auburn. Um, to me, there, there's there's some backside run issues where Penn State's, you know, on the front side, PJ Must for Nick Tarbert and Jesse Lucchetta, those guys have been doing a great job on the front side of plays. On the back side of plays, 
Arnold Abikidi's been doing a good job knifing in, getting slipping in, and getting tackles for loss. But somewhere in the B gap, it's usually in the B gap. You know, not your defensive end who's there, but whether the, whether it's a linebacker filling or a safety filling in that area, the backside run support has not been holding that gap well. That has been a consistent thing I've seen from game to game. And then I think Brandon Smith sometimes doesn't play the run very well, especially if you run at him. I, I've, I've had some issues with him getting off blocks. Wisconsin threw tight ends at him, and they were able to get him, you know, hold him. And he doesn't, for somebody who has such long arms, he doesn't shed blocks particularly well. So that, to me, is I, I think that's something to monitor going forward. But you see his overall impact on the game. He's a fantastic football player. So there's some good, there's some bad. No linebacker is perfect because it's such an insanely hard position to play. On the flip side, on the offensive side of the ball, I thought Penn State did a good job running the ball on the perimeter, but between the tackles, we talked about this a little bit earlier too, uh, their offensive line right now, they're not... Phil Trotwine is just getting to work with these guys for the first time this calendar year. And he's bringing guys into the program that he is you know, targeting, but they're not on the field yet. He's still, you know, he's coaching these guys and these are talented football players, but these are of a different type of guy than I think he's going to get long-term where you're going to see bigger, stronger, more physical, more violent guys. As Tom put it earlier, move people off the ball. I just don't know that they have the personnel right now to do that. But in the meantime, they need to use their athleticism because Juice Scruggs and Eric Wilson and Bryce Efner, the guys that are getting the reps at guard. And I think guard is really the problem here. They need to be able to get those reach blocks on those zone run plays to the outside. What you want is you want to be quick enough to get around the defensive linemen. And again, it was a really, really good Auburn front. They're going to face, I don't know they're going to face guys that are that strong and that violent and play that confidently again this year. And I know they've got Iowa on the schedule. It's going to be tough to, to be better than that in, against the run. So part of it is who they've played, played, and part of it is I don't know that they got the horses up front to really move people. And that, to me, is why you saw some of the, the gimmicky perimeter run stuff that just didn't work because they didn't fear anything between the tackles, so they didn't overcommit to anything. You've got to be able to threaten a traditional thing, a traditional run game or pass game, to then make somebody bite on a play action. And that's really, to me, what I was seeing from from Auburn is they weren't afraid, and they were fast enough to run to the perimeter. Uh, 99, uh, sorry, I'm monologuing a little, here, a little bit here, but 99 for uh, Auburn ran down Jahan Dotson. Yeah, Holy cow. Moultrie. Like, Moultrie, Moultrie yeah. yeah. He's Moultrie fast. played exceptionally well. They have probably four guys that are going to play on Sundays at least. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a good team, um, but you're right. There is an issue with the running game. It, it is something to monitor going forward, but, it, I mean, for Penn State fans, they went under center. Brenton Strange lined up at fullback, and they had several touchdowns, like, on the ground. It's moving in the right direction for, for classic Penn State football fans. Uh, Zalbro wants to know, is this the best version of Clifford or can he get to another level? And what does that look like? That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, well, I, I, I you take this one. What, kind of going off of what you just said. If you get into a situation against uh, an Ohio State or uh, an Iowa where the running game's not there, um, I almost look at Bo Nix's line tonight that he nearly threw 40 passes. So uh, Sean Clifford throwing 32, that's a nice sweet spot. That's a really good amount of passes for him because it's not 
you know, it doesn't appear on the stat sheet that things got out of hand. It's not like some of these games where you see guys throwing the ball 50 times a game. That's where you're really concerned that it's like, okay, nothing's working in the running game. So he had to do that. So I think that's the next question that Sean can potentially answer this year. And he might be thrust into that position depending on how things play out because he can clearly handle his share of the offense right now because yeah. they're really just not putting a ton on him. It's not like, hey, man, you're you're the best quarterback in college football. Go get it done for us. Like they know what he is. He knows what he is. The, the real question is going to be later in the season, does he throw it? 40 times 45 times 50 times it's all going to depend on the situation but if that's more by design that could be the next step because of his completion percentage is anything like it was tonight and he's throwing at that volume that's the next level but we're not going to know what that looks like or if he can do that until he does it uh we're what we're about an hour after the conclusion of Penn State versus Auburn 2820. If you're just joining us, thank you, by the way, for being up at 1230 Eastern Time, hanging out with W-I-F-T-R, us. Uh, it, dark, baby. It's not just the Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh and for some of you that have wondered, uh, you know, we've been doing this for about 45, almost 50 minutes now. We definitely address the refs. We've, oh, yeah, we've we definitely done that already. Uh, we we got to some more of the nuanced things to go on tonight. Uh, you can replay this later. Uh, this is going up on YouTube. But yeah, they're just bad at their job. That's kind of where we landed on that. It was not any sort of uh, conspiracy. They just had a bad night. They they had a um, they had a Sean Clifford first half of the Indiana game in 2020 bad sort of night. That was kind of what their their night was uh, at Beaver Stadium tonight. A couple more questions here. What does this win mean for the Big Ten and the SEC? I would answer that question with this question. What does Ohio State losing to Oregon mean for the Big Ten and the Pac-12? I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a good read on that right now because I don't think that Auburn specifically was a team that was going to compete for anything serious. They're a good team. I'm not saying they're a, they're not a good team, but in the SEC, I mean, you're looking what? Where would they be, Tom? And uh, in, in terms of teams that are going to finish in rank in the SEC, probably middle of their respective division, right? And, and uh, maybe towards the top end, they will push Alabama, considering the way Florida played Alabama really tough today. And I think Alabama yeah. only won by two in the swamp. So Alabama looks human to put it one way um that georgia defense looks like the best georgia defense perhaps ever assembled um that's hard to beat too monsters on the defensive line so um what does this mean for the big 10 and the sec um i am excited to continue to see matchups like this because especially with the conference realignment more and more is going to be made of these two conferences uh individually and what they're able to do I think the SEC has the most shine right now in that it's yeah. it's trendy. It's what everybody wants to do. It's where every recruit wants to go play. It's where a lot of schools are going to play, as we've seen with Texas and Oklahoma. Um, the Big Ten with this alliance, quote-unquote, with the ACC and the Pac-12, I'm, I'm skeptical and I'm curious to see where that goes. We promise. Ten, yeah, it's like not written down. or just gentlemen's agreements and this will do it. <laughs> Let's have know, a fist bump. I promise. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I think ultimately 
the voters, if they want Ohio State in at the end of the year, they will make an excuse. They will find a way to do it because it's Ohio State. You have to remember this is about brands that can draw viewers and can draw money for events. So yeah. if you think for one second they're going to take maybe an Oregon team that if they end up with like one loss or two losses over, uh, a, say, a one-loss Ohio State, oh, well, you lost to Oregon straight up. They're not going to care. It's Ohio freaking state and they draw money and they draw eyeballs. The same thing with the SEC and those three teams that I just mentioned, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia, they draw a lot of eyeballs, not nearly as many, uh, well more than Auburn. So I think this is a really good uh, addition to the non-conference schedule for both these schools because this is a good loss for Auburn. Auburn came down to the last drive of this game and could have won it. So yep. there's a lot of this uh, that still remains to be seen. But, yeah, I, I think the frustrating thing for Penn State fans, I'm seeing a lot of people say, oh, if Penn State goes undefeated, they have to be in the playoffs. Well, we got screwed a handful of years ago with Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, and they put Ohio State in. So it's like anything can happen with this. And, by the way, everybody in this chat should understand the deficiencies that we've just pointed out with Penn State in terms of running the ball and stopping the run are exactly what teams like Alabama and Georgia are built to destroy. So be very, very worried that Penn State potentially goes the way of Notre Dame in the past in the college football playoff if they run into those buzzsaws. So I'm just saying that right now. So so first off, if they get to the, in my opinion, if they get to the college football playoff, it's a massive win. Like I, what happens once you get there is one thing or another, but I don't expect them to beat those two Titans. No, no. And that's, so I feel like I asked the question earlier, what are you expecting of, um, of Penn state now that they're three and oh, and like, we just went like light years ahead of what I was thinking. It's like, can they compete? CJ? Well, no, it's not just you. Like, you know, Penn state fans are excited now Mm -hmm. after this win, Penn state fans, feel like this team is something because you saw, at least to me, I saw things I wasn't expecting. Parts of the offense that were not working then worked. And when you see that, when you see an evolution, I think that's a huge thing. And I want to wrap up with this point about what James asked of what does this mean for the SEC and the Big Ten? I think this means the most for James Franklin and Penn State. Winning this game with that TV crew and that national eyeballs and and the way the refs were playing the you know playing the where the, they were officiating to win that game and have that scene and have all those things that's a huge recruiting tool that's a huge perception tool the SEC comes up here and you win i don't know that it's as much about the big 10 as it is about the penn state program i think that was a huge thing for james franklin and the penn state program uh, we got another chat question I want to get to here. Uh, I've got to find it, though, because this is another great question about what we saw from the offense and how parts of it worked that didn't work before, including the tight ends. And And Ryan says, love the use of the tight ends tonight. Will we see the whole playbook come to fruition or is a slow peel back week by week? I'll let you start, Tom, because I have some I have some decided opinions about Mike Yersich at this point. Yeah, um, so I'm a supporter of Mike Yurcich. I like what uh, we've seen out of him thus far. There's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of diversity, variety, creativity, which is great. Um, the tight end wrinkle, 
I, like I said before, earlier on in this, I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see this for a couple of weeks, just depending yeah. on what the competition is, you kind of shelf this and then you bring it out when you need it. So that way you're playing Ohio state or you're playing Iowa and they're kind of like, Hey, we saw this against Auburn and then it disappeared for a few weeks. And it's like, they're going to be like, Hey, just be ready for this. And all of a sudden, Oh my God, there it is. And they're not, they're ready for it, but they're not quite ready for it. If you do it every single week, maybe that's the plan as well. Coaches love to play the long-term mind games when it comes to tape. So uh, yeah. I'm curious to see if it continues because honestly, these are big bodied, fast dudes who can catch the ball and do some really interesting things in space, whether they're spectacular blockers that are going to help in the run game. Strange did that. Um, they're involving Warren and Johnson and that uh, a little bit more. We'll see if they become bigger players in maybe uh, facilitating the run game. So what do you think? Yeah, so they used this three tight end look against Ball State. So they 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 have been using it throughout the season, but they used it differently tonight, and I think to a really good effect. So to me, it's not necessarily that the playbook is and and Nate Bauer, senior editor of Blue White Illustrated, did uh, said it perfectly. It's not a static thing. The playbook is not just this thing that is like the Bible. It's not a t an ancient tome. It's a living, breathing thing. It's Mike Yurcich's mind. And there are certain things that are part of it every week. The bubble screens are going to be a part of it every week. Motioning to the bubble screens are going to be part of it every week. The inside-outside zone, those are going to be a part of it. The quarterback run, that's going to be a part of it. But what do you do to evolve those concepts? What do you do on your tendencies to then break your tendencies? They did a lot of that tonight and they're going to continue to do that because Mike Yersich is a creative inspired play caller he's got the spark of creativity and the way he's using these pieces is different than what he's done in the past he's never had three tight end sets in any of his other places that he's been because he never had three tight ends like this so that is going to continue to be a part of what they do but it's more than just about the tight ends it's about what he's doing with personnel to create conflict. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the successful first down conversions, they have two tight ends to the far side of the field. And then they have Tyler Warren lined up at receiver. Then they motion him down into the formation. I said, they're going to run backside on that play because he's going to crack block and he's going to get open up that backside cutback lane for Noah Kane. And that worked. So the, the, the ability to use guys and to put them in position using formation and using motion and all these creative different ways is how he's going to continue to evolve the playbook. So it's going to feel like you're seeing these new layers and these new layers. And I don't know for a fact that you know it is or isn't, but this is a continually evolving thing. James Franklin has said he's never seen a concept, a formation, or a play that he hasn't liked and wanted to steal. So that's what you're in for this year. I, and you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of some of the base things that you're going to see repeatedly used. Um, I found that those bubble screens and the first couple of drives, um, Yurcich could feel how fast the Auburn defense wanted to play. The entirety yeah. of the Auburn defense was hovering or, around the line of scrimmage because they were either trying to stop the run or they were trying to jam guys like Jahan at the line so they couldn't get a free release and really hurt him deep. So a lot of those plays you could feel was kind of just, it was chess. It was your switch being like, hey, we are going to play along the line of scrimmage. Come right up. Come hang out. And then he was yeah. sending the tight ends up the seams, and they were getting some really good opportunities. I love the play where Brenton Strange lined up basically as the left tackle, and then they shifted the offensive line. The defensive line of Auburn had no idea what was going on. 
Um, he was an eligible tackle, uh, eligible receiver on the play, and just leaked right down the seam, right down the hash, and was right yep. there. So I think there's a lot of things that he is intentionally setting up defenses with the things that he's doing, as opposed to what well, we kind of got used to the last two years, where it's like, well, this is what we do, and we're going to stick to it, and that's the end of that. So uh, I'm excited about the evolution. It's it certainly is. So I, you know, Tom has said before he he's admittedly a Penn State fan. He's not coming at this from an analytic perspective. I am a fan of good football. You know, I am a fan of watching things that are fun and creative. And I'm a fan of Mike Yurcich because of that. I'm really impressed with the job that he's done so far, and that this is a consistent thing, time over time over time, of of what he's done with offenses. I love watching creativity and smart football, and I do agree with a couple of people that have said in the in the chat they have to somehow find a way to get those third down conversions. If you got third and one, third and two, that's what James Franklin says all the time. When they don't convert, it's because they're not in third and short; they're behind the chains and. This game, they just couldn't get that done. They could not get those uh, those those short yardage conversions. They they tried it a couple of different ways, and to me, that's the problem. Is they tried it, they tried to traditionally run the football with Noah Kane, and they tried to be creative and tricky, and neither of those worked. If that continues, that is going to be a problem that goes on and and becomes a trend for this year. Just a little bit over an hour here in the show. We're going to wrap things up. Got a couple more things to get to, but if you got any more questions, throw them in the chat. We'll answer them all as quickly as we can. Uh, Tom, do you have any thoughts about this game as we wrap up here? I want to make one point, and it worried me a little bit as we saw in the game, is that I had personally thought in the first two games you had kind of seen the game management of the last two years kind of go away, uh, mm-hmm. and that was predominantly more on the offensive side of the ball and that the – Going forward on fourth and short, uh, kind of around the middle of the field, seemed to go away. And it was like, hey, let's like let's punt. That, that's okay. We don't need to go for it on every fourth down, et cetera. And then we had two fourth and short opportunities in the first half. And part of me was just worried that that was the excitement of the moment that maybe that got to whomever was making that decision, whether that was Yursich or whether it was Franklin. Uh, you would tend mm-hmm. to believe that's, that. That's that big, James that's James Franklin so that's concerning because the first two games you didn't see Penn State do those things they were being a lot more conservative in the right way in this type of situation so I sincerely hope that does not become a trend for the rest of the season so that that's one point I have so Ryan I'm gonna say this you can ask as many questions as you want Ryan uh, as long as if you're if you're if you're uh, helping out the channel this much I appreciate it Ryan asks again um what does this win do for recruiting going forward? Now, you know, I, I always defer to the guys that work with me at Blue White Illustrated when it comes to Ryan Snyder and Greg Pickle when they talk about recruiting. And they always say one game doesn't do it all, but it helps, right? It's every little thing. It's that they won that dramatic game against Wisconsin. It's that they took care of business against Ball State. And they, they, you know, walked away with that one. And then in the biggest game, the biggest stage, I should say, because I didn't feel Penn State had to win this game. Like, this was not a game that Penn State had to win based on their schedule. They've got a lot of big games on their schedule. So if they lose one, 
That's understandable. I do think this now bought them a loss. So, you know, it, it the, the perception of everything and the whiteout crowd, 109,000, how many, Tom? 109,000 what? 109,958, I believe uh, that's the correct number. It was the 10th largest crowd ever at Beaver Stadium. So to what you were saying, that was Penn State rolling out the red carpet because yep. you've got game day, you have a whiteout, you have an SEC opponent, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Joey Porter Sr. in the house. Like, you have... You have all your players. You have Adam Telfero representing the the university in a spectacular way, uh, and it's always a pleasure to see him. Uh, like this couldn't have looked better for Penn State. So to your point, a recruit is going to be uh, interested in this. But as I said, in the macro of the conferences, you know that's another thing to consider. But the micro, one kid making a decision, that looked good. That looked really yeah. good. And that that decision that Ryan was talking about, Lamont Payne, quarterback, cornerback, uh, excuse me, at a Chartiers Valley, a good player. We'll have a film study on him, T. Frank's film room, coming up sometime this week. I mean, it, it's 12.35 on now Sunday morning, and I've got my, to write my film review on this on this game, then do a bunch of other stuff, then do a show on Monday, a live show on Monday, and that film room. So uh, I'm gonna take some coffee, uh, some coffee, ca- caffeine pills. I'm already losing it. It's already going downhill. But yes, we'll have a film room on uh, on uh, Lamont Payne, the corner who committed at halftime of the game today. Penn State wins 28-20. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Tom Hannafin. This is BWI Live. Uh, thank you so much for coming around today and watching uh, the the post game show, hanging out and uh, and discussing Penn State football. It was a big win. There's no way around this game being a big win for Penn State football. They now are three zero to start the season. This is uh, one of the best starts to one of the hardest starts that Penn State has had in any season in recent memory. So now they head into the final week of September with a chance to be four and oh, Tom. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Thanks. Tune into the Pay Dirt Podcast. Thank you, everybody. We will, Tom and I will be. You'll be back next week. Yes. All right, gangs, back okay. together to next week after Villanova. So maybe, maybe come and bring some friends. Tell everybody about the BWI Live post game show because we have a lot of fun. Thank you to everyone who donated the channel. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>